But without further ado, bless the Lord as a man of God comes to bring the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Todd. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you very much. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Yeah, you know, I, I, I was thinking this morning, I, I saw some of the pictures of Pastor Rhonda, and man, the smiles, the refreshing smiles that she had. And Christine, it, it gave my heart some solace to know, you know, she's enjoying herself. She's hopefully iron sharp, sharpening the iron, you know, as she's there and getting a respite and relaxed. Um, it just did my heart really, really good. Am I roaring? No. Okay, I, maybe it's in my own head. I'm, I'm roaring. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad, and I'm really glad she'll be back tomorrow night, Pastor Todd. Thank you for <laughs> reminding all of that. As, as Pastor Tim reminded us a few weeks ago, boy, how tough, how tough to follow a woman that, that, that walks with the Lord, speaks with the Lord, and just it's almost when she opens her mouth, it's almost like the Lord is speaking straight through her. So uh, I'm hoping today that I can, I can fulfill those shoes a little bit. Um, and uh, I tell you this much, Pastor Tyrone, if I ever, God ever calls me to go to the streets, I pray to God that you're with me <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. I want to know you're a man of God, and I know you seek his face, but none of that, your guns <laughs> that he's walking around with, I'm sure it does not hurt the fact that he's walking the streets saying, do you know Jesus? So I, I got to give, I, I want to, if I'm ever in that situation, I want Pastor Tyrone on my hip, or well, as I used to say it in the army, uh, has my six, has my back. So I want to I move into the, the scripture. Uh, I've got a lot to unpack today, and I'm hoping that uh, the Lord will direct. I want to move to Exodus 15, chapter 15, 19 through 27. I'm going to start with Exodus 15, chapter 19 through 27. There's a lot of different scriptures I'm going to throw out there, but you know, you don't, you know just take notes if you want. Um, okay, so Exodus chapter 15, Verse 19, when Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the, in the desert without finding water. When they came to uh, Marah, they could not drink its water because it's bitter. it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there, he, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all, that his, all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am God who heals you. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your mercy, your grace, and I thank you most of all for the tree, the cross that you uh, took on for us. I pray, God, that you would speak through me today. I pray, God, you would anoint my lips. I pray, God, you'd anoint the ears hearing the words that I don't say. I pray, God, they resonate. I pray that somebody today 
needs to hear this word and would be moved or changed for the glory of God. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to speak to you today a little bit about dancing in the desert. Dancing in the desert. That sounds like quite the oxymoron, doesn't it? I know of, uh, a couple years ago we had the opportunity to go to Arizona. Desert. It was hot. It was very, very, very hot. Dry, desolate place. In fact, the shrubs that grow there are just different. Now, if you've never been to the desert, it's just a different looking landscape than we're accustomed to. It was scorching hot. It's not a place for most people you would find them dancing. There's not a whole lot of reasons to dance in the desert. They didn't seem to care or notice. These ladies in this text, Miriam, they didn't seem to care or notice or care about the sand dunes or all the sand dust and all that stuff when they started dancing. They danced when Pharaoh died, and they danced over dead carcasses, dead horses. They danced. There's something in this text that we just read that keeps coming up. We keep hearing about water and God. God and water. I want to take you a few minutes to speak about water and God. God and water. First of all, remember when we met God? It was a water. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the water. I don't think that I can explain or fully understand it, but there's something special between God and water. The first thing that God moved on was water. Water and God. God and water. All throughout the Bible, there's a connection between God and water. In Exodus 15, 4, Pharaoh drowned in water. Leviticus, the priests washed in the water before they could walk into the Holy of Holies. They had to wash, as Pastor Todd said earlier. Aren't you glad we don't have to wash before, and get it all right before we come into the Holy of Holies? Amen. Joshua 1, the new generation that was born in the desert had to go through the Jordan to get to the promised land. Jordan, water. There's always something about God and water. God taught Moses how to draw water out of a rock. He told him, smite the rock, and water flowed. He didn't, he didn't say smite the river or the creek or the well. He said smite a rock, and water flowed. Later, he told him to, to speak to the rock, and the water gushed. There's something about water and God, God and water. In John 1, Jesus started his ministry at the water. He goes down to the Jordan where John is baptizing and, and John looks up and he says, look, Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. The heavens open up and a voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God, water, water, and God. The first miracle Jesus performs is in John 2, was done with, great, you guys are quick. With water. He, 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 Jesus' mother came and said, hey, look, we're out of wine. Jesus, it's not much of a party anymore. We need some wine. He told him, go get me six barrels of water. And he turned the water into wine. There's something between, again, God and water, water and God. 
That's why water baptism is so important. It's not just a ceremony. It's not something we just do to do it. It is special. There's a reason for the baptismal. Jesus met Peter walking on the water. There's something special about water. God, Lydia was baptized in Acts 16 outside of Philippi on the riverbanks. Where you see one, you see the other. There's something amazing about God and water. On the sixth day, God created man out of the dust of the earth. However, you must understand the human body is made majority out of what? Water. water. So it must have been not just dust alone. Your brain and heart is 73% your lungs are 63%. Man, we're good. Skin, your skin is 64% water. Muscles and your kidneys are 79% water. Even your bones, your, well, of course, mine are getting old and crusty, but even your bones are 31%, you guessed it, water. Your body is composed of water. You can last longer without food than you can without water. You require what you are. Water needs water. Spirit needs spirit. Word needs word. You thirst for whatever you're made of. Water needs water. God loves water, and God loves each one of you. God uses water. God used water to kill Pharaoh. God's ways are higher than ours, and who would have thought... I never thought in a million years that God would have killed Pharaoh with a water gun. <laughs> Think about it. I'd have much rather relied upon T Pastor Tyrone's guns than a water gun, but that's what God used. Ask Noah when God gets ready to use water. God will send the rain down from heaven. Noah had never seen rain. Never seen rain. However, he built the ark wrapped around something he had never seen. And all of a sudden, it began to rain down. Not only, that God, not only that, but God broke up the cisterns in the bottom of the earth, broke them up, which released water, and made the ark float. It's amazing to me that everything that was saved found life in the water. And everything that was unsaved found death in the water. God can bring life and death out of the same substance at the same time, depending upon where you are or where you sit. He uses it to cleanse. God uses water. The text that we just read, I feel like the Lord gave us three illustrations or lessons to be learned on how God uses water. It's an introduction of the children of Israel after 400 years being estranged from God. They had not offered up a sacrifice for 400 years. No ceremonial cleansing or washing for 400 years. They hadn't worshiped God in 400 years. The idea of God had been distorted by their association with the Egyptians. They kind of had forgotten who God was after 400 years. They didn't have a clear image of God anymore because when they, what they tried, they tried to build an image of God and what did it look like? It looked like the Egyptians built. And, but here's, here's the great thing. In spite of the theology, their theology was wrong, we know that, they heard, that God heard their voice or their cry. God, said, God told Moses, I've heard the cry of my people. God heard the cry of his people that had not worshipped him for 400 
years. That's hard to grasp. Think about it for a second. I, if you go 40 minutes or 40 days or four weeks without worshiping God, do you remember who he is? Does he get so distant and you can't hear his voice anymore? Have you lost the vision of who he was? Why am I telling you that? I want to tell you that today because you're not that far gone. No matter how far you go, you, God will hear your voice. Amen. You're not so far away, he won't hear your cry. Let me tell you something. You cry out to God, I need you. 400 years, they didn't worship. 400 years, they didn't sacrifice. They didn't do anything relatively serving Christ. You're not so deep. This is for somebody here today. You're not so deep in what you're in. He won't hear your cry. I want to pause and thank God just for a second. I'm sorry. I want to thank God for the times that he heard my cries. And I think there's anybody here that he's heard your cry. Take a minute and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for hearing my cry. When I was up against it, I didn't know what to do. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my cry. I know I wasn't worthy, God, but thank you for hearing my cry. You can't help but love a God. I think David said it most. I love him because he heard my cry. That's what he said. That's why he loved God so much, because he heard my cry. You gotta, can't help but love a God that when you haven't served or, or sought after him for 400 years, he says, hey, I hear you, son. I hear you, daughter. What an amazing God to hear your cries. Not only that, does he not even hear your cries, but then he says, I'm ready to fight for you. God told Pharaoh, Israel is my son. Until you turn loose of him, I'll kill your sons. I'll wage war on you until you let them go, because I have heard the cry of my son after 400 years. I've heard the cries, even though they're prodigal, even though they're wayward. Amen. You may have gotten a call this morning waking you up over a prodigal. God heard his cry, her cry. He will hear her cry. There's something unique and special to me, and I, I, I know it probably will resonate more with the ladies in the room, but there's something amazingly strong about the cry of a child. That there's a cry that you're in the other room and it's kind of like, oh man, they're just spoiled, they're just looking for attention. Leave me alone, I'm good, you guys, you work it out. But there is a specific cry that a mother will drop a, a pan of biscuits, that a father will drop whatever he's doing and will run. The adrenaline rush, I think it's the connection that God gave between his children, the same connection that he has with us, that when there is a pure-hearted cry, Father, Mother, I need you. And he won't, he, and he'll fight you in a different ways that you've never seen if you've messed with his kids. He'll fight you with flies. He'll fight you with frogs. He'll fight you with locusts. And yeah, guess what else he'll fight you with? Water. He'll fight you with water. <laughs> So, glad, so God devised a plan. Speaking of water. So God devised a plan, a commitment for the deliverance. When soon as hell asked the question, God immediately was committed to the deliverance. God always has a plan to get you, you, you out of whatever you're into. I don't care how far deep. If you choose to stay in Egypt, if you choose, it's on you. You choose to stay there. God is, will always give you an opportunity or an out to get out of whatever Egypt or whatever slavery, whatever bondage you're walking in today, God will give you an out. He'll make an escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, in the middle of your temptation, God will give you an escape route. Amen. God brought them out in their own ignorance. He brought them out in their ignorance. In their blindness, he brought them out. 
Their flawed theology, he brought them out. With their bad attitude, he brought them out. With, the, with their complaining, he brought them out. Confused, he brought them out. Let me tell you something right now. You don't get out of whatever you're into because you're good enough. Amen. You don't get out of anything that you don't deserve to get out of whatever you got yourself into. It's not because you're good enough or you do something perfectly enough, right? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with God being good, and he brought them out because he's there. You, we are his children, period. And you got to understand something. Egypt at that time was a superpower. It was the America of its time. It was not one to be trifled with or played with. In fact, today, we're still looking at the pyramids. We're studying them even today. They're, 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 the, the way they're, their architecture, the way they built them, it's, it's, impre it's impressive. Pharaoh was a leader that you didn't want to leave out of a summit in Switzerland or whatever, right? He was not that guy to be messed with. He was a force to be reckoned with. He decided whether men lived or died. He decided whether villages were burned to the ground. He decided... Uh, whether, whether or not you, the, the women of the time that were not treated very nicely, how they were used or abused or what they were done, they were sold, and he decided you're going to slavery, you're not going to slavery. That's why Moses ran and wandered around for 40 years. That's, he's not someone to play with. It's that kind of power that was, that was chasing. I'm trying to give you a picture of the, of, of the children of Israel that were running, the power that was chasing behind them. How intimidating. How intimidating. Can you imagine the kind of fear they felt when they heard the hooves of 600 chosen fastest chariots? Pharaoh chose 600 special ops. He didn't pick out some jack leg over here. He picked out, a guy. He picked out the 600 of the best, the best, and I'm sure they all had guns like Pastor Tyrone Amen. or more. You know, they, these guys were bad. These were bad to the bone. They were skilled warriors. You know, God had, and God had parked them in a cul-de-sac by the Red Sea. Can you imagine? Let's all get together. Let's all take a little trip, even though we're a couple million of them. Let's take a trip, and let's, park, let's take a, you know, park ourselves beside the Red Sea with nowhere to go, and we got Putin coming after us. We know he's evil. And we're sitting there wondering, Hadn't worshipped God in 400 years. He heard us. But we're sitting there waiting. God, what are, you, what are we going to do? Moses, what have you done to us? If God didn't had, had not made a way at that moment, they'd have been completely destroyed. 100% completely destroyed. Annihilated. I feel like somebody today is facing something somewhere that you've gotten yourself into that if God doesn't move on your behalf, you feel like that's the end of it. It's almost like, you know, he's a terrorist. Pharaoh's almost a terrorist. He's announcing from miles away, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you, I'm coming for you. Why? Just to paralyze them from fear, to not to be, have the capability to do anything that God would have them do. I, I, I tell you what, dry seasons are tough because you go through them and you wonder, okay, you know what? You, if I go this way, I go that way. What's going to happen? Satan has the ability to play games in our minds and will paralyze you from doing whatever the God's will for your life is. That's where they were at. The Bible says God used what was in, the, God used what was in, in his hand to fight against what Pharaoh had in, in his hand. So let's look at that. God had what in his hand? Water and wind. Pharaoh had 600 
fastest chosen chariots, 600 Pastor Tyrones, just special ops dudes ready to kill. But God spoke to the wind and backed up the water for miles and miles. God was teaching them through this Red Sea experience separation. God is a God of separation. Separated, he separated the day from night. He separated light from darkness. He separated water from ground. He separated these things. You don't have to be afraid of what's trying to overtake you because God will put a barrier between what is trying to overtake you and dance on your head and not. He will, he will put a barrier between you so you don't hear because he heard your cry. God uses water in this text to separate. The Bible says they walked across on dry land. That means they didn't even get muddy. So God used a barrier, walked across it on dry land, and didn't even get muddy. Told Moses, I'm going to get you out comfortably. When God brings you out, he will put you in situations so good, you don't get muddy and it's comfortable. Later on, the Apostle Paul calls the Red Sea a baptism. Wait a minute. It kind of felt like an escape to me, didn't it? Escape. From Pharaoh. Pharaoh's coming on my heels. It feels like a baptism. You see, the children of Israel went into the seabed as slaves, and all the slaves died there, and they came out as children of God, sons and daughters of God. Amen. God baptized them and put a mark on them so they would see themselves not as slaves anymore. You may be going into this thing as a slave, but you're coming out as a child of God. Amen. That's what baptism's all about. All the slaves died in the Red Sea and became sons of God. But when, God, when Pharaoh tried to use the same route that God had made for his children, what happened to him? What happened to him? The master of the winds told the wind to go back. And what happened? They died. Picture this. 600 chariots. I know it's hard to imagine. It's really hard. Sometimes you read the Bible, you're like, wow, you really get a big picture of what it really looks like. 600 chariots that are, that are chasing after you. They roll into the water, the water falls on them. The Bible says that they were, Josephus, the historian, uh, says that bodies were littered on the riverbanks. Littered. You got swords, you got spears, you got horses, the carcasses laying around that are all dead. Who'd have thought God would deliver you so well you'd be dancing on top of what was dancing on you? When he came out, God, they were dancing on the enemy. When Miriam, when they came across and they died, Miriam and the ladies began to dance. They picked up their tambourines and danced on what was dancing all over them. While you're dancing, what am I saying? You need to dance in the desert, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. You got to dance. You got to dance and, and, and release the praise of God that will get you, get you through that desert life. When you're dancing and you're in the desert, your devils are dying. When you're dancing, your debt is dying. When you're dancing, your enemies are dying. When Miriam grabbed the team, she, uh, tambourine, she didn't go and do that entirely just for, for joy. She was doing it out of warfare. Amen. She was doing it out of warfare. The more you praise him, the more he reacts to you. So when you see God bringing you out, when God, you get in that situation where you don't know which, how am I going to get out of the situation I've got myself into, God? How can I do this? You start praising. And when you start praising, it releases God, and he starts doing more for you. Praise him. Praise him in your living room. Praise him in your car. Praise him when you're doing dishes. Praise him when you're, when you're working. Praise him, praise him, praise him, because it releases, and he, he reacts more for you. They were dancing in the desert. When these women started dancing, it set off a series of events with water. 
me tell you something. Some things, when you're in the middle of the desert and you're in a dry season, some things aren't going to change or happen until you start praising. When you start praising him, that's when God reacts to whatever the situation is. Some things are going to happen until you grab that tambourine in the middle of the desert and refuse to be depressed, refuse to be walking around with a long face, looking at face, I'm so depressed, this life sucks, if you will, whatever. It, i, I got to praise him to get, to get him to react. And when you're doing it, know that you're dancing on the devil's head. Amen. I know it's hard. I know it's crazy. To say, oh, you know, I'm going through hell in a handbasket or whatever, but I, you want me to praise? Amen. Yeah, I, I can never forget part of Barb, uh, Pastor Barb's uh, testimony a while back that she was talking about how the, the troubled times had hit, hit the house, and she's walking around the house sp speaking the Lord, speaking the name of Jesus over her, her children, her family. That's what I'm talking about. In that desert, dancing in the desert. The death total of all of the enemy as she's dancing was 100%. Not one man escaped or left to live to tell the story. Because when God says he'll fight your, your enemies, it's total annihilation of the enemy. God doesn't care how big that enemy is you're facing. God doesn't care how skilled that enemy is you're facing or how gifted, how crafty that, that enemy you're facing, which we're all facing the same enemy, which was Satan, which is the devil. And he comes every which way he can come at you. And he is, his objective is to take you down. So, the Red Sea closed in, not just to kill the enemy, but so that one of, the lesser, one of the lesser troops couldn't pick up the pursuit. Think about it. Poof, it comes in. It killed Pharaoh and the 600, right? Why did it stay closed? So that the lesser of the, any of the lesser troops could, couldn't pick up the pursuit. And, look at, and, and on top of that, too, the bigger, biggest reason, I think, that the, 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 the sea closed in and they were under the side, it was they couldn't go back to Egypt. Look at somebody and say, I'm not going back to Egypt. No matter what, I'm not going back to Egypt. I'm not going back to slavery. I'm not going back to bondage. I'm not going back to Egypt. So the text moves along. The water's still flowing out of the dance the lady started. The Bible says that they moved along after three days in the wilderness and came across some water. But when they got down to drink the water, it was bitter. bitter bitterness doesn't just mean it tasted bad means if you drank it, it was bad for you to drink. It wasn't good. So the people cried out again to Moses, hey, what are we going to drink? You brought us out here. What are we going to drink? This is three days ago that they just split the Red Sea, just to, just to put that in your head. They just split the Red Sea. God just split the Red Sea, killed Pharaoh. And three days later, they, hey, Moses, what's up? What's going on? We had nothing to drink. So what does Moses do? God, they got nothing to drink. <laughs> Uh, so have you ever asked the question to God? You ever asked God a question and his response didn't look like anything like the question you asked? Hey, God, we need something to drink. God answered with a tree. So you're praying for something, God answers. It doesn't look like water. The water's bitter. How's this tree going to help us drink? We're in a desert. We're thirsty. It's three days. This might be the most important part of this text to me. We've, we talked a minute ago about separation. God will put a barrier between you and what's chasing you. He'll protect you. This is a part of sanctification. We went from separation to, separation to sanctification because not only is God trying to fix their craving for water, he's given them a glimpse of what's to come. He's given them a glimpse of Jesus. You remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well? If you drink my water, you will never thirst again. 
If you keep drinking what you're drinking, you're going to keep getting thirsty. Keeps have to come back. But if you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. They pray for water, and God answered with a tree. Oh, hallelujah. You see, that tree was a type of Calvary. It symbolized the old rugged cross. The tree was a prophecy. The tree is the only thing that will turn bitter waters in life to sweet waters. God told Moses, I know the problem was, was water, but the answer is the tree. It is a foreshadowing of the cross. God told Moses to throw a tree at it. You got bitter water? Throw a tree at it, Moses. Throw a tree at it. I know you need money, but throw a tree at it. I know you need water, but throw a tree at it. The waters of Mara were so bitter, Moses threw a tree at it, and the water turned sweet with the inclusion of the tree. I don't think y'all get it. The same way Jesus turned the water into wine, Moses threw the tree into bitter water, and it turned sweet. The answer is a tree on a hill far away stood on an old rugged cross. What a wondrous attraction for me. I'll cherish the old rugged cross. You see, the cross turned all the bitter waters to sweet. I don't care if you're bitter today for whatever reason. There's only one thing that's going to turn that bitterness into sweetness. And that's the cross. That's Calvary. Hallelujah. That's Calvary. I don't care if it's drugs or alcohol. It was alcohol for me. I don't care what makes you bitter. Whatever part of business. If you have a piece of your life that's still bitter, throw a tree at it. Throw a tree at it. Throw the tree at it. This, is the, this was the place of sanctification. Sanctification will turn what is dirty to clean. What's bitter will make it sweet. What's dark, he'll make light. It all happened because the inclusion when Moses threw the tree in the bitterness and the bitter water. You might have a degree, but you need a tree. If your life tastes bitter, you need to throw a tree at it. The tree is a prophetic glance of Calvary. The only thing that can turn bitter waters is the old rugged cross. Whatever, whatever, whatever that was bitter in water, Moses threw it in the tree into it. The tree, when he threw the tree into it, the tree absorbed it. The tree absorbed it. It took it all the way. All the bitterness was gone. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. At Calvary, Jesus knew no sin absorbed it by his stripes. At Calvary, he was wounded for our transgressions. Every curse he absorbed. Every demon he absorbed. He absorbed it for me and you. He absorbed. He turned my bitter waters sweet because God threw a tree in it. The third lesson of this, I believe in this text, is sustainability. Sometimes, you know, again, we had, the, the, sometimes we want to stay where a miracle happened. And that's typically a moment, not a movement. For instance, when I was at Penile, God gave me a moment, and boy, did he give me a moment. He said, Lisa Willis. One of those times in miracles, I wanted to stay in that moment forever, but I couldn't stay in Penile. I couldn't stay there, right? We can't stay where a miracle happened. God gave him a moment, but he didn't want him to stay there. Look at what someone's saying, I got to keep it moving. I got to keep moving. Got to keep moving. I got to go a little further. I just can't hang on to what grandma taught me. I can't go on just what my father taught me. I got to go a little further. 
So when they, got to, they, they came to Elam, God got ready to teach them the third lesson in this text, sustainability. So we've gone from separation to sanctification to sustainability. This was, a not, this, was not, this was not a moment like the tree because when they got to Elam, it was a prepared blessing. How do I know that? I can prove it to you. We read that if you look back at the text, somebody had been there before them. So let's back up. Pharaoh's chased them, real quickly. Pharaoh's chased them. They're running, they're trying to save their life. They're, they're, they're fearful to death, they're scared to death. God gets them through the Red Sea, kills Pharaoh. Three days later, they keep going in deep into the desert. Bitter water. God says, boom, here's the sanctification, here's your tree of life. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. I want you to keep moving just a little further. Get deeper into it. When I got to Elam, what did they find? It kind of sounds to me like a resort. I had been to a resort. Well, I went to a resort in Arizona. It was pretty cool, too, right? Um, but there was 12 wells that they found. They didn't say there were 12 wells that they dug. Somebody had been there before. So this is a prepared blessing that the father said, hey, keep going, keep going, go deeper. There was a prepared blessing waiting on them if they kept on going towards him. There were 12 wells. And not only, not only just 12 wells to drink, right? There were 70 palm trees. We're in the desert. 70 palm trees. Think that anybody in here needs some shade? Occasionally needs some shade, just a place to cover. For a little while, just to catch a, a respite, just to catch a, a, a break or a, a, a cool breeze to come across. And this is all for slaves from Egypt. This was prepared for slaves that God took them to. I, I got to tell you, my heart and mind goes to where, we at, where we're at today. I, I, believe, I believe wholeheartedly that God will prepare a blessing for you that you own houses you didn't build. I believe God that will give you cars you didn't buy. I believe God will build churches that he gives us, wherever that may be. God will prepare a blessing if you go deeper and you keep searching after him. So I really want you to hear today and focus on a, a couple things. The biggest thing that encourages my heart, if you're in a situation where you don't know, even if you got yourself into it, I don't care if you did it to yourself, you, you've made wrong decisions, and you can hear that terrorist coming behind you. You can hear the accuser accusing you nonstop. Remember that they did not worship our God for 400 years. They didn't worship him for 400 years, and he heard their cry. So no matter how far, how deep, or whatever you got going on, just know in your heart that God will hear the cry of his children. And he will not only, he, he, will, he will sanctify you, he'll separate you from that mess that you've gotten into. I know he's got me, separated me from several messes that I got into. Thank you, Father, thank you, God. He separated and then put a barrier up to where that I couldn't go back to Egypt. I ain't going back to Egypt. Nobody can make me go back to Egypt. No, I, don't, I don't think anybody would want to go back to Egypt. And go back to slavery and the bondage that you once lived under. And lastly, he will sustain you with a prepared blessing. Pastor. Amen. That was a good word, man. Look at your neighbor and say, throw a tree at it. Excellent word. <laughs> 